And now, here is Walter Bingham. Hello and welcome to the new year 5784. Today is the 11th of Tishrei, or in the Gregorian calendar, the 26th of September 2023. I am Walter Bingham and hope that your prayers will have been heard and that you will all have been inscribed in the Book of Life, Health and Good Fortune, and that it will be sealed on Yom Kippur. All our non-Jewish listeners who support the Jewish state shall also be blessed with good health. Today's feature is about the importance of Israel's sovereignty over all parts of our homeland that are still administered by Kogat, the coordinator of government activities in the territories. But I begin with this week's pleasant diplomatic event. The tour of duty of ambassadors from states with which Israel has diplomatic relations is usually four or five years. This week, President Herzog has received seven new ambassadors at the presidential residence who are replacing their predecessors. After the ceremony of presenting their letters of credence, they, their entourage and representatives of our foreign office, retreat to a room for conversation with our president about their country's interest in and relations with the Jewish state. They are then being taken back to the King David Hotel and the next ambassador is received with his country's national anthem and the usual IDF honor guard. The first new incoming ambassador was from the Republic of the Ivory Coast, Feni Kouakou. During their conversation, the president said, The relations between our countries are excellent. That stems from the love of the Bible, the love of humanity and the pursuit of peace. I hope that together we can advance the relations between our countries. Second to present his diplomatic credentials was Ambassador of Peru, Manuel Sousa Velasquez. The President welcomed him and said, I had a good conversation with your President last week and I wish you great success in your position. Next, the President received the new Ambassador of Cyprus, Cornelius S. Cornelio. They discussed the ongoing efforts to expand cooperation in the field of energy. Then President Herzog warmly welcomed the new ambassador of the United Kingdom, Simon Walters, and said, Britain has an important standing in the Middle East. There are many areas of our government to discuss. Chief among them is the issue of Iran. The ambassador emphasized Iran is not only a threat to the Middle East, but a threat to the entire world. The British government's position regarding Iran has been very firm. The new ambassador of France, Frédéric Journet, presented his diplomatic credentials to the president, who stressed that the challenges facing our country among them Hezbollah's activity in Lebanon and Iran's refusal to cooperate with the IAEA inspectors must be a red alert for your government. He then said, there is a deep and historical connection between our countries and peoples. My late great-grandfather was the chief rabbi of Paris. The president proudly remarked, 
The ambassador replied that the relationship between our countries is like no other. It is an intellectual and strategic friendship. He was followed by the incoming ambassador of the Republic of Ireland, Sonia McGuinness. President Herzog congratulated the ambassador and said, Ireland and Irish culture are deeply respected in Israel and you can do much to promote relations between our peoples. Last to present his diplomatic credentials was the new ambassador of Brazil, Frederick Meyer. The president noted, Brazil is a popular and beloved country among the Israeli public. We would be happy to host your leadership in Israel and assist in promoting trade and diplomatic relations between our countries. Now some news in brief. In 2015, the mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, invested Mahmoud Abbas with Paris's highest honor, Grand Vermeil Medaille the Grand Bronze of Paris, for working towards peace and a two-state solution. It is regrettable that even after Abbas has been chairman of the Palestinian Liberation Organization since 2004, and since 2005 he headed the Palestinian Authority, Mayor Hidalgo was apparently not aware that this antisemite Abbas is not only a Holocaust denier, whose PhD thesis was on that subject, but that he also has, on countless occasions, spewed hatred against Jews in general and Israel in particular. It took her until last week to announce that the city of Paris was stripping Mahmoud Abbas of that special honour, following his spreading once again of false and inflammatory remarks about the Holocaust. Merci, Madame Mère de la Ville. What will it take for the Jews in the U.S. to realize that anti-Semitism in their country is increasing relentlessly? Have they learned nothing from the unfortunate experience of the Jews in Germany in the early 1930s? Since mid-July, at least 50 synagogues in 13 U.S. states have received threatening calls, quite apart from the frequent attacks on Jews and Jewish property in the U.S. It's the old story of having one's business there, and that prevents moving. Well, let me tell you from bitter experience, possessions can be replaced, but you only have one life. Save it. At the moment you are free to take everything you own on Aliyah. Don't wait until that window closes. Now to the main subject for today. On several occasions, Prime Minister Netanyahu has stated that sovereignty over the whole Jordan Valley is a necessity to protect Israel's eastern border. So far, he has not acted. He is unfortunately looking too much over his shoulder to the U.S. I am sure that Prime Minister Netanyahu himself knows that the U.S. needs us as much as we need them. So what's stopping him? The people demand action. That is reflected in the number of NGOs like Imtirtu or Stand With Us who made it their task to speed up for the right-wing masses whose voices are ignored. But the people whose main concern is 
to maintain Israel as a Jewish state in all our Jewish homeland still felt remote from official NGOs and formed themselves into grassroots groups that grew exponentially. The largest and most influential grassroots organization that crusades for sovereignty over all of Israel is the Sovereignty Movement. Soon after the 2022 election that once again brought Benjamin Netanyahu into the Prime Minister's chair to lead a right-wing government, I was interested in the reactions of the Sovereignty Movement. So, to find out more about their aims and successes, I am pleased to welcome the co-founder Nadia Matar to the Walters World Studio and thank you for coming all the way from your home in the wonderful city of Efrat in Judea. This is an updated version of what she told me several months ago, and nothing has changed since then. Let me ask you first how and when the sovereignty movement began, and are you a membership organization? Walter, first of all, I want to say that it's a very big honor to be here, to be interviewed by you in your studio and see the amazing pictures of all the people you interviewed spreading the truth about the land of Israel, the people of Israel, and our right to this land. So first, I want to thank you. About your question, our organization started really under another name. In 1993, the Oslo Agreements were signed, and my dear in-laws, Ruth and Michael Matar, founded the Women for Israel's Tomorrow. It was a terrible agreement that the government of Israel at the time signed with the mass murderer Yasser Arafat, giving him weapons, building him an army, giving him parts of our homeland, and all against the promises that they had made in the elections. And the Rabin Paris government basically forced upon us this Chamberlain-like agreement and we felt the need to show that not only those portrayed as so-called settlers, the word settler in Hebrew, Mitnachalim, says that this is our land. Of course, I'm a settler too. I settled in Yerushalayim. But the media tried to portray to those who said no to uh, the Oslo agreements as crazy, a fanatic. And my mother-in-law, Ruth Matar, and her husband, Michael, of blessed memory, felt the need to show that also women are against it, are in favor of keeping the land of Israel. When we found out that the Oslo agreements want to shrink us back to the green line, that's when we found that Women for Israel's Tomorrow, with green hats on the green line, warning the people of Israel, let us not go back to those indefensible borders, and the people cannot give up on their heartland. For so many years, we were called Women in Green. Then came Gush Katif in 2005, when we realized that demonstrations, unfortunately, had not helped. We continued the movement. I took over alone and had the incredible privilege of meeting Judith Katzover, one of the pioneers of the renewed Jewish settlement in Hebron, together with Rabbi Levinger. And we returned from Gush Katif to the Judean hills of Gush Etzion to see how the Arabs started the battle of Area C. And we planted and they uprooted. Uprooted. But in 2011, Judith said, it's not enough, the local battle on the ground. Another caravan, another tree is not going to save Judea and Samaria while the Arabs are taking over, funded by billions of dollars by the European Union, Oxfam, USAID. We have to come with a plan. The left has a plan that we oppose. What is the plan of the right wing? We keep on saying no. No to the two-state solution. No to freeing murderers. What is our yes? 
And that is when we decided to raise the flag of the plan of the national camp, the application of Israeli sovereignty over Judea and Samaria, and we changed our name from Women for Israel's Tomorrow, Women in Green, to the Sovereignty Movement. Are you a membership organization? No, people join us by telling us that they want to join and they join our list on WhatsApp to be updated. No, people don't have to pay it and feed. Where are your headquarters? Nine years ago, the headquarter became Osvegaon in Gush Etzion, the place that we set up the night of the murder of the three boys, Gilad, Eyal and Naftali. They were kidnapped. And when they were found on July 1st, 2014, before the funeral, we have to show that we're not going to cave into terror. We are going to deepen our hold onto the land of Israel. And we went up to the forest above Gush Etzion and redeemed it from illegal Arab takeover and turned it into a beautiful Zionist educational reserve. And that's where we are. From there, we organize our activities for the past nine years. Did successive governments not pull it down? We went up to a place that already belonged officially to the boundaries of the Gush Etzion Regional Council. It was illegally taken over by the Arabs of the area who turned it into a dump, into a place of crime, of prostitution and of drugs. And we redeemed it and they understood and they knew that this belonged to the Gush Etzion Regional Council. And therefore, thank God, they didn't bring us down and we are going to develop it more and more. As the name suggests... Your purpose is to disseminate material and to educate our people as to why the absurd situation in Judea and Samaria and the Jordan Valley is unsustainable, and you've certainly succeeded in a large measure. But how do you see the timetable for this change? That is the best question. For the past 10 years, we've been promoting the idea and the plan that what needs to be done. But now we need to move with this new government that is a right-wing government, a government that believes in sovereignty, in our right to this land. Now we have to move from talking, from vision to reality, from vision to implement it really. And we decided that sometimes you have to do things in life in stages. You can't do everything altogether. We cannot tomorrow apply sovereignty from the sea to the Jordan River, which of course is the purpose. So sometimes you have to start with phase number one. And therefore, we decided to promote the application of sovereignty over the Jordan Valley first. Why? Because first of all, there's a big consensus. We had a big event in the Jordan Valley, and Walter, what was the most moving part of it was that it was attended by people on the right and on the left. For instance, and I'm sure you know him, former Minister of Agriculture, Avram Katzoz. From the Labour Party, he spoke more right-wing than anybody else. We had even Yoel Marshak. We don't agree on everything, but over the Jordan Valley, we agreed. So the first thing that is a very big plus for the application of Israeli sovereignty over the Jordan Valley is the consensus, left and right. Number two, it's 30% of Judea and Samaria. Number three, it's the eastern border. And number four, most importantly, when there will be sovereignty, i.e. Israeli rule over the Jordan Valley, it will once and for all prevent the creation of a Palestinian state in the rest. So, as you said, the new Israeli government is now well and truly operating, but it's apparent that the changes in the actions you expected are progressing slower than you hoped. Do you believe that Netanyahu's repeated promises about sovereignty, particularly over the Jordan Valley, were sincere, or was it once again all electioneering? First of all, we have to understand that this government is in power only for a few weeks, a month and a half, 
And it's unfair of us to expect that to shift. It's like shifting the direction of a huge boat that for over 20 years has been going in the direction of suicidal left-wing policies that within a month or two that they will be able, this new government, to right away do everything we dream of. So they have not disappointed us at all. In fact, we came out with a blessing today for uh, making nine new communities kosher and we have to have a little bit of patience. We cannot have a government that is being attacked by the left with vicious demonstrations, the left minority, and also attack them on the right, saying, no, 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 you're not doing things fast enough. We have to have a little bit of a patience. But, as you said, and it was said yesterday by all the politicians who were previous politicians, politicians very often make promises that they can't sometimes uh, commit, and it's up to us, the people, to pressure. We believe that the Prime Minister wants to apply sovereignty over the Jordan Valley. We also believe that he's very much uh, wary about the Americans, etc. And therefore, we have to give him the strength and the oomph to do it. And in the end, please God, I think that we'll be able to have another interview where, please God, it will be done. Of course, this interview was almost a year ago, and I'd be interested to hear if Nadia Matar is satisfied with the progress. Now back to the interview. We are, of course, a sovereign nation, but in this shrinking world of economic interdependence, we need to look over our shoulders to the international community, who erroneously believe that our Arab population are a nation and therefore have a right to their own state at least in Judea and Samaria, known as the West Bank, and that Israel illegally occupies their land. It is an opinion that is held by a majority of the United Nations, and unfortunately, while Israel has always refuted this, we have never explained the history of many of those people's relatively recent immigration. They came from poor Arab countries, and even from the Aegean Islands, to our land to find work following the establishment of agriculture by the early kibbutz movement and of course after the British garrison was established in 1918 and provided work. Today they all call themselves Palestinians. So it is an indisputable fact that there is now a large so-called Palestinian population living in and on our land causing continuous unrest. How would you solve that to the satisfaction of all sides? It's very important that you teach your listeners exactly what you just said. We have a lot of youth that we talk to and we also teach them because unfortunately, even in the Israeli educational system, they're not being taught what you just mentioned. And uh, very often when we tell the youth that the Palestinian people is an invention from the 1970s and we tell them about John Peters and we tell them about her book and tell them about all those things and we hope that this new government with the new Minister of Education will exactly educate the younger generation to know its history. To answer your question about uh, looking over our shoulders and the fact that the world doesn't support us, I refer you to, and all the listeners, to the incredible uh, website of Joram Ettinger, who constantly talks about the fact and reminds people that we are a sovereign nation, and sometimes we do things that the Americans maybe don't like at the time, but people will respect you if we respect ourselves. And there are so many examples of actions that the Israeli government took 
against the wishes of the Americans. And sometimes even there were some sanctions for a while. But when we know what is good for us, in the end, the world will respect us. And the Europeans who are now waking up to the terrible wave of Arab immigration and some countries even turning into Arab countries soon, like Italy and France, I think that they're jealous of us. And therefore, we have to do what is good for us. As Ben-Gurion already said, it is not important what the nations are saying. It is important what the Jews will do. Whether it was bombing the Baki Tam by Begin, whether it was the declaration of independence by Ben-Gurion, whether it was the application of Israeli sovereignty in 68, all the things that we did sometimes the Americans are our best friends they are our friends but let's remember they also need us how would you solve that problem to the satisfaction of, of all sides was my question both sides being of all sides that's the international community the Arabs who are here indisputable so I will tell you what I would do I would bring to the forefront all the Arabs who joined our sovereignty movement and are telling me, Nadia, we don't want a Palestinian state. And I would bring them and, and have them tell the world. Uh, Bassem Eid from Jericho told me, or as Sheikh Tamimi from Ramallah told me, or Sheikh Jabri from Hebron told us, we prefer being residents under Israeli sovereignty than citizens in an Islamo-fascist Palestinian state. Will you stop forcing upon us a Palestinian state? We don't want a Palestinian state. Those Arabs should be brought to Europe, should be brought to America together with our ministers and should explain to them that they rather live here as residents, not as citizens, because we cannot give citizenship to 1.8 million Arabs. But they're willing to be here as residents because they know they're going to have a better life and therefore, sovereignty from the sea to the Jordan River will be something good for the Jews and the Arabs alike. We have to have a better Hasbara. We have to have an initiative. So when Israel takes the initiative, when Israel pushes something positive that is good for Jews and Arabs, that will convince the world, the Americans, the Europeans, and they will see it with their own eyes. But we've already got almost two million citizens. Therefore, we can't and, have more and, than that. And that will in due course cause a demographic problem. Walter, there is within Israel close to 2 million Arabs. They have complete citizenship. Then you have in Judea and Samaria, the numbers differ. Obviously, the Palestinian authorities and the left are promoting a much larger number. We go according to Yoram Ettinger and his crew, 1.8 million Arabs in Judea and Samaria, which is also a lot. And I just said before that obviously we cannot give them citizenship. But they are here. We have citizens. You misunderstand my question. Oh. We have not two million. We have a million actual citizens, Israeli citizens here. Arabs, which is also a lot. They will in due course create a demographic problem. No, they're not. To answer your question about the demographic threat, the sovereignty movement is promoting the idea of sovereignty not only in theory, Sovereignty also includes bringing in two more million Jews to address the problem of demography. Today, there's a Jewish majority between the sea and the Jordan River, but it's not a big majority. And obviously, we have to work hard to make sure that when we will have sovereignty all over Israel, the motto, the slogan will be an overwhelming Jewish majority of 75 to 80 percent Jews and a non-Jewish minority loyal to the state of Israel. How do we do that? That's your question. 
A, we have to promote Aliyah. There is no plan to promote Aliyah now. There is Aliyah, but there's no active promotion by the government. We have to bring in at least all the French Jews, 450,000 Jews, or Jews from America. We can easily bring another million to two million Jews to Israel. But there's also the grandfather clause. That will be changed, hopefully, with this government. And that will be changed, and we will have a situation where only Jews will come on Aliyah and not the great-grandchildren of who might have once been Jews and now have no connection to Judaism. I'm talking here about what should be done to bring another two million Jews here to make sure that the Arabs who want to live with us will receive residency and have a better life than any Arab anywhere, and those who want to leave will help them leave. We don't have to be shy to say that Israel, with Judea and Samaria, between the sea and the Jordan River, which is smaller than the state of New Jersey, is the one and only Jewish state. It's the nation state of the Jewish people. We welcome non-Jews who want to live here as long as they respect the fact that this is a Jewish state and we're not going to give them our democratic tools to overturn our Jewish state into a state of all citizens. There have been many suggestions to solve this problem, this dispute. The latest plan that's being floated is a Hashemite Palestinian state in Jordan that includes Gaza and part of the so-called West Bank with Amman as its capital. Your comment. You're talking about creating a Palestinian state that would be the end of the state of Israel. Obviously, that cannot be accepted and that will not be accepted. Thank God we already have a million Jewish living in Judea and Samaria with another 350,000 in Jerusalem and This government, please God, will bring in many more hundreds of thousands of Jews in Judea and Samaria, and we are not going to allow the creation of a Palestinian state in Judea and Samaria, our heartland. To slightly change the subject, in a televised address to the nation, referring to the bill before the Knesset for judicial reform, President Herzog said, and I quote, we need to stop this fiery polarization before it burns us all. We are on the verge of a constitutional and social collapse. Do you agree? Completely not. We're not on the verge of any collapse. We are on the verge of the left going wild that they have lost the elections and they can't accept the results of the elections. We have an overwhelming majority of the right wing. 2,360,000 people voted for a right wing government, for a judicial reform, for sovereignty, for keeping the land of Israel. And only 1 million and a little more voted to the left. Unfortunately, the left cannot accept the fact that the right wing is in power because this is for the first time, not only that we are in power, which happened in the past, but in the past, unfortunately, when the right was in power, the left was ruling in all the different powers of strength, like the media, like judiciary system. But this time, a new kind of a government came to power saying, we're actually going to also rule. We're not going to just be there in power just to be there. We're also going to rule according to what we were voted in for. And that is the big shot, the big shock by the left. Yariv Levin is going to make a judiciary reform? How dare he? How dare he? That is what he was voted for. That is his mandate. Where was the president of Israel when we were demonstrating in 2005 against the terrible, tragic decree of uprooting Jews in Gush Katif and the northern Shomron? We were hundreds of thousands in the streets. 
And we were talking there not about a simple reform of the judiciary. We were talking about destroying the lives of 10,000 Jews, destroying their homes, handing it over to the Hamas. And we were crying and demonstrating. Did anyone on the left call for a halt, call for talks to put a stop to it? That was okay. But now, now because they are not in power, we have to stop. We want to strengthen the hands of Yariv Levine and Simcha Rotman and tell them that they have all the power to do so. Of course, we don't have to be so cruel as the left. And Yariv Levine invited them to discuss. We can listen. But there is a very large majority in the country. In fact, in my view, the country is split in half on this subject. How can we get over this? There are people who are warning of the third era. They're reminding us that also during the Second Temple period, when the Israeli state reached the age of its 70s, we're almost going to be 75, then started the internal problem. The first generation fights the external enemies. The second generation stabilizes itself after the state was created. And now, because we have more time, we're fighting less to have a piece of bread on our table, and we have such great economy, we have the time to bicker among ourselves. And that is when the danger starts of splitting and of dividing ourselves. And the threat is there. But I hope and pray knowing the people in this government, that they know this and that they will take this into account and that they will make sure, on the one hand, not to cave in and not to make too many changes, but to do it also respectfully with the other side. Unlike the other side who were so cruel to us in the 90s and in 2005, we shouldn't be like they were against us, but we should also not cave in. So, Nadia, can we only be united when we have a common enemy? I think that at our sovereignty event in the Jordan Valley, Walters, we were united. It was so powerful to see former Minister of Agriculture, Katz, who's from the Labour Party, and even Yoel Marshak, who's so much on the left, together with people like us, who are so known to be right-wing activists, and we were united. Mm. So there mm. are things we can be united on. I can see you getting so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the feeling that there's such a rift and a division in the people is being promoted by the media. When you don't listen to the news for a day or two and you meet people in the streets, even with those that you disagree with, there's much less of a feeling of a battle, of a war, etc. We have to be very careful in an era where there's TikTok and Instagram and Twitter, everything is so extreme. But that is in the media. When you talk outside of the media, I don't think it's the case. I think most families are together and there's no rift. But we have to be careful that not to allow the media to bring upon a rift when there's no need for it. Your movement, Nadia, is growing exponentially. The time will come when you might wish to retire. Who is there to follow you? Some friend of ours told us once that an organization is only serious if the heads of the organization, if they retire, that it should be able to continue. And we understood that we have to have youth. And at that exact time, really like a hand from God, we got a phone call from a group of youth. Hello, you know, there was just a uprooting, a destruction of a home in Gush Etzion, and the adults called us to fight the destruction, and we're sick and tired of it. We understood that had there been sovereignty over Judea and Samaria, there would be no destruction. 
And therefore, we want to join the sovereignty movement and create a department of the youth. And to make a long story short, from that moment on, six years ago, when we met those amazing youth, one of them now is already the aide of one of the Knesset members, but at the time he was much younger. We took them under our wing. They begged us, teach us, tell us how to be activists. Thank God, if and when Judith Katzover and myself will retire, those youth who call themselves the Seventy Youth Movement, who are spread all over the country, not only in Judea and Samaria, but surprisingly a lot in the big cities, they will continue and they are already our future leaders. So I am a very big optimist, Walter. Rabbi Benny Elon of Blessed Memory once said, an optimist is somebody who said the situation is not simple, but with God's help and a lot of hard work and many partners, we will do and succeed. You even publish a quarterly, very thick newspaper. How many staff do you employ? And most importantly, how are you funded? I am happy you mentioned the journal that we distribute in Hebrew and in English in 200,000 copies twice a year, because that is a very serious and an in-depth journal. We don't have a big staff. Judith and I, we have a few volunteers who work with us, and we're funded by Am Israel, the people of Israel. We have no government funding. We have a website, if ribonut, R-I-B-O-N-U-T, dot C-O, dot I-L. Hebrew means sovereignty. All the information is there. Click on English and you'll get the whole website in English. Nadia thank you very much and I appreciate your time. Thank you, Walter, and may you continue to do your incredible work till 150 at least. If you wish to comment on anything you heard in the program, then please write to walter at israelnewstalkradio.com where you will always get my personal reply. Or you may put a message in the appropriate place of our website. Finally, as you all had honey on the table to sweeten your year, I thought I ought to say a few words about bees. They are the most important insects or even living creatures that help the production of food. The honey is really a byproduct of their essential work. Much of what grows is pollinated by bees. That's why a whole scientific industry has evolved to control their every move within the hive. Sensors are placed within the hive to monitor the temperature, their health, whether there is an active queen, and much more. All that helps beekeepers to produce healthy hives. And with those sweet thoughts I end for today. Until the next time when I hope to bring you more news, views and interviews from Israel and the rest of the Jewish world, this is Walter Bingham once again wishing you a sweet year. And remember that in our Rosh Hashanah prayers we said repentance, prayer and very importantly charity will keep away the evil decree. To look after your elderly neighbor, particularly at this holiday period, is the heights of charity. Goodbye.